The question I want to talk about today is, can a person's family become an idol? That's the title of the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Some people do not have a biblical worldview on the family. For them, the family is always number one regardless. The Bible teaches a different perspective. We get this question all the time, and so I wanted to do a podcast and write an article on it, and that is what I have here. If you want to read the article, you are welcome to do that, and you're also welcome to share it with anyone that you would love to share it with. The title of the article is the same as this podcast, Can a Person's Family Become an Idol? Here is the question that a supporting member sent into our ministry. I'll read it to you, and it'll give you an idea of what they're asking, why they're asking, and it will give you the basis for what I want to share with you. Our supporting member said, can a person's family become an idol? I live in an area where the family is king. Even when people do not like their families, they are still king. Blood ties are strong. My experience has been that for some people, new covenant relationships will always play second fiddle to the natural relationships, regardless of whether or not the natural relationships are regenerate or non-regenerate. What are your thoughts? Sometimes, not often, but sometimes I'll take a a question that comes in on our forum and I'll write an article out because it really applies to, well, it has universal application and this article does have universal application. If you want to ask a question, we do have public forums and you're welcome to ask whatever a question like this or a follow-up question to this. You would need to create a username and a password and get on our free public forum, and it would be a pleasure to come alongside you and answer whatever question that you may have. I said in the last podcast that sometimes the articles that I write, people will write in and say that you're reading my mail or you're writing about my life. It is ironic, but I just received that email the very next day after making that statement. I want to share with you a note that was sent in. I'm not going to tell you who it is, the name of the person. I won't do that. We will just call her blessed. But this is what she said, and it's in context of what I'm saying to you is sometimes people think that I'm watching them, and it's not true, by the way. But she said, thank you for The Natural Regression of a Woman. That's the title of the podcast and the article. I cannot even begin to express how exactly that message describes me and my marriage right now. Way off in the distant, foggy recesses of my mind floated an idea that complete surrender and death to self was the only way to save my marriage and family life. Yet I seemed unable to grasp hold, that is, until hearing your podcast today. Many thanks for helping me to discover the truth about my depravity, my past, my marriage, and my Savior. Rick and everyone else involved there, you have helped to rescue a marriage and the future lives of of my children. May the Lord richly bless you and your ministry titled Blessed. 
she gave her name, but again, I'm not going to share that. I just want to share that with you because, as I said, I, I get that email regularly where the Lord is hitting the nail on the head. Did you know that every year we reach hundreds of thousands of lives globally, just like the individual that I, I just shared that thank you note about? This year, we'll reach over one million individuals with the practical gospel of Jesus Christ. We help these people by providing practical tools and ongoing training for effective living. Through the written resources, audio broadcast, equipping videos, and interactive forums, the Lord is impacting lives through this ministry. Will you partner with us to help continue this fantastic gospel adventure? You may donate one time or recurring, or you can become a supporting member of our community by going to our website like Shauna did just a couple of days ago. Thank you, Shauna, for helping to support our ministry. For as little as $5 each, each month, you can provide practical tools for hurting souls like this lady, blessed, who just wrote in. If you are a local church, will you support our missional endeavors around the world? Whatever you can give to help this ministry will change many lives, and that's why I wanted to share that testimony from from this lady. If you can support us, please go to our website to learn how to do that. Thank you. This podcast and the article on the website is titled, Can a Person's Family Become an Idol? Here is my response to our supporting member who asked, and to be succinct, the most obvious answer to the question is yes. We can make idols out of anything. Men can idolize women. Women can idolize men. A single person can idolize a marriage. A teenager can idolize the cool group at school. There is absolutely nothing known to humanity that we can't turn into an idol. We turn love into lust. We turn hunger into gluttony. We take words and use them sinfully. Since Adam and Eve took a dive in the Garden of Eden, everything has been up for grabs as far as idol-making. Nothing is safe. We can use everything sinfully. A person's family is no exception. Our hearts are idol factories, so said John Calvin. We are tenaciously loyal to ourselves and without the protective care of others, the chain-breaking power of the Spirit, the clarity from the Word of God, and the sovereign providence of the Lord, we're all vulnerable to our sinful desires. It's why Peter said in 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so your question is a good one, I said to our supporting member, and it behooves every Christian to think about what you are asking. God has called us to an alien life. We have an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is, that is otherworldly. It came from Jesus, the perfect one. And it means a lot of things, but it most definitely means that this world is not our home. We are alien people. As you suggest, there is a new covenant. There is a new way of living. This new way is not eclectic where we can pick and choose what areas we want to give to God. He is Lord over all.
Our Savior gave us the pattern for what it means to live the alien life. He was able to prioritize his relationships without being aloof, without being uncaring, but he was unflinching. He had a biblical filter through which he defined his relationships. I want you to carefully listen to three passages, and they will help you gain a clearer perspective on how Jesus thought about this idea of our earthly families. The first one is Matthew 12. You've heard this before. Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's Matthew 12, 48 through 50. Luke 14, a more complicated passage, 26 and 27, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple disciple. That's Luke 14, 26, 27. Back to Matthew chapter 10, two chapters earlier from the first verse verses I read. This is 34 through 37. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These passages could be confusing or considered uncharitable to the unbiblical mind. If they are not correctly applied, a person could easily slip into one of two ditches that the Bible would not support. Ditch number one could say, unbiblically, it could say, your family is king regardless of their faith commitments. Ditch number two could say, you unlove your family regardless of their faith commitments. Jesus did not live in either ditch. He did not unlove his family, and he did not allow his family to manage his biblical priorities. We cannot conclude otherwise because we know that Christ was perfect, which means he never made a mistake regarding his theology of relationships. And so you want to make sure that your family does not become king over you, and you also want to make sure that you don't unlove your family. Now, I want to loop back around to Luke 14, 26, and I want to get into this hate riddle in that verse as it pertains to our priorities. You heard what Jesus said, if anyone, this is Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my 
disciple. I call that the hate riddle in Luke 14, 26. The real question is, who do you love more? That's what Jesus is really talking about. Now, we teach our children to love God more than they love us. I want them to love God more than they love Ricky and Lucy. It's a hokey acronym, and I really disdain hokey acronyms, but I'm going to say it here. The acronym JOY, J-O-Y, Jesus, Others, Yourself. Jesus was using hyperbolic language in Luke 14, 26, where he said, you must hate your family to be right with him. Listen to it. We know this is hyperbolic language because of the principle of non-contradiction. This is a hermeneutical principle, the principle of non-contradiction, meaning the Bible does not contradict itself. And God does not teach us to hate our fathers and mothers. That's why we know this is hyperbolic language. What he was saying is our love for him must be greater than our love for our families. This kind of love should not be a hard concept to grasp when we, when we consider our call to God first living, which comes right out of the Jesus uh, Matthew 6 playbook verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these sublunary earthly things will be added to you. Let me illustrate this verse of Luke 14, 26, the hate riddle verse. You may have heard the expression, he passed me so fast that it looked like I was sitting still. A person may say this when he's driving a car and another driver zooms by him at a much higher speed The person is not sitting still. He's actually driving, moving down the interstate. But he says, he passed me so fast that it looked like I was sitting still. The slower driver is not sitting still when he talks about the other driver. He is hyperbolically conveying how fast the other guy is driving. The Savior is not calling you to hate your family. But he is calling you to have a love for him that makes all other loves look like hate in comparison, hyperbolically speaking. He's calling you to place a higher priority on him and your Christian family, since you are in his body, than those who reject him, even if some of those people are family members. God created you and he placed you on earth for a purpose. Your job, should you decide to accept it, is to figure out your purpose. And that, of course, is easy. It is to glorify him. That is your purpose in life. 1 Corinthians 10.31, that's Paul's playbook. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He allowed you, sovereign Lord, allowed you to be born into a family because that's how it works. That's how we get here. We are born into families. We're not born and left in the wild to fend for ourselves. We're not hatched out of eggs. We are born into families, in homes, somewhere. Everybody comes the same way. Usually, we mature into young men and women while living in the context of the family that God used to bring us into the world. 
The family construct is how God set it up from the beginning. A man and a woman procreate. A child is born, and that is the start of the journey that has no end. Eternally speaking, it has no end. During this journey, some of us have an experience with God. I had an experience with God in 1984. I was born a second time. Perhaps you are a Christian too. You have been regenerated. That's the big word. You have been born again. And at that point, we receive another father, an eternal father. And though we do not disrespect our earthly fathers, we're now living on another plane with a new and more meaningful priority. We have entered into the family of God. We become children of the king, and we take our marching orders from him. Out of respect and Christian love, we never forget where we came from, that family that we were born into, the way that we got here. We always show honor to those whom God used to bring us into the world. You see this in John 19. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus honored, respected, loved his mother. Sometimes people think in extremes. For example, they feel guilt and shame if, if they love their Christian brothers and sisters more than their bio family. You must examine this kind of guilt and shame. It's not from the Lord. God did not give you that guilt or that shame. If it were true, Jesus would be wrong to love those who did his will more than those who did not. Jesus would be wrong to love unregenerate family members more than the family of God. And so if you feel guilt and shame for loving God's family more than some of your relatives, that's not from the Lord. Jesus had one filter that he used to figure out this problem. For whoever does the will of God in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. End quote. His starting point has to be your starting point. The will of God is how you discern the family you love the most, those who are doing the will of God. But you must be careful in your thinking. Love has differing degrees of intensity. We can love a mountain and love our mothers, but not love them the same. You can love your child, and you can love your neighbor's child, but you do not love them the same. Don't feel bad about that. There should not be any shame in your differing degrees of love. I love my family more than I love you, and you better love your family more than you love me. But with that said, we can still love everybody, just not to the same degree or in the same way. The question you still have to come back to, who will you love the most? Will it be Christ and his body because his body is him? Or will it be the unregenerate world even if some of your family members are part of the unregenerate world? This is a worldview, life-shaping question. 
It is a question every person does answer, either explicitly and biblically or by default, based on the condition of their relationships. Everybody answers this question, though I don't think that the majority of the people of people actually think about it. Now, as to your question, there is no doubt some people do not have a biblical worldview on the family. For some folks, the family family does supplant biblical common sense. They, They do not divide relationships between those who do God's will and those who don't do God's will. The saved and the lost, they split the group between who is in the bio family and who is not, and that is how they divide people up, and that is unbiblical. They're wrong, and they cannot support their view by the Word of God. It's impossible. This problem is where you and I have to put on our biblical thinking caps. Upon reflection, you probably realize this is not their biggest problem. And this is perhaps not the hill where you want to die. Now, be careful here because there is something more rebellious in play here. And you get a clue to this in 1 Samuel 8, 7. Listen to this verse. You know the context. And the Lord said to Samuel, quote, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. In Samuel's day, there was another kind of family. It was a nationalistic family who succumbed to unbiblical groupthink. God had a plan for their lives, but they did not like his plan. They wanted to do it their way. Now, Samuel was frustrated by their decision, so the Lord brought clarity to Samuel He reminded his servant about the broader issue. The broader issue is they were rejecting God as their king by choosing one of their own to be king over them. Rejecting God is the real problem when people prioritize relationships between bio and non-bio rather than regenerate and non-regenerate. When the bio family becomes king, as you have seen in your experience, I'm talking to my supporting member here who is asking the question at the top of this podcast. When this happens, you need to focus on the real issue. They are acting out of ignorance, or they are acting out of rebellion, or they're acting out of both. I don't know the answer to that question, but this is where you want to use discernment. You want to be very careful, because what you don't want to do is to cop an attitude toward those people who make family king. What you really want to do is you want to pity them. You want to feel sorry for them. Samuel's response is, well, I mean, disappointment is part of the response that you have, but you really want to be sad for these people who are choosing Saul, who is head and shoulders over everyone else, rather than choosing God. You should pity anyone who has unbiblical priorities. There should be a sadness, a a brokenness in your own heart with a desire to create a vision for them. Ask God to give you the wisdom, the discernment, rather than being mad at them because they made family king, they made unregenerate family members king. 
And so my recommendation would be twofold in this idea of creating a vision because now you're thinking on the, the heart of the issue, not the superficial problem of, of uh, having unbiblical views on family. And so you want to, one, you want to cast a vision among those who will listen to biblical thinking. Not everybody's going to listen to biblical thinking. You want to discern that. And when you discern that, you want to cast a vision with them, help them to think clearly. It's why I'm doing this podcast. I want to help those who will listen to think clearly about regenerate people and unregenerate people, regardless of whether, whether they're family members or not. And then number two, I want you to work with those who want to work with you on this so that you can continue in this discussion. Don't get hung up on how they live their lives, but keep plowing the furrow that God has called you to cultivate. He will build his church. In the story of Samuel and the Lord, the advice Samuel received was to let them continue as they were doing And he was to carry on as the Lord had called him to carry on. If they want that king, you let them have that king. And you keep plowing how God is teaching you to plow. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Our Father has given you a proper and reliable perspective on family. You get it. You understand it. You're not going to jump into the ditch and making your family king regardless of their faith commitments. And you're not going to jump into the ditch of not loving your unregenerate family members. Continue to live in the middle. Love those who will allow you to love them, but be clear without being rude regarding your faith commitments. This kind of love should not be hard to do. There is grace to appropriate for this. There have been times when my unsaved mother would visit where I gave her the option of going with us to our small group or staying at home. She had the option. Now, she always chose to go with us to the small group that we attended at that time. In one sense, it's no different from saying, hey, I'm going to run some errands and we'll be back shortly. Would you like to come or would you like to stay? Now, my mom had no problem with this. She understood that we had a life to live, part of which meant being with our Christian brothers and sisters, part of which meant running errands, part of which meant doing other things. Our world did not stop when she showed up. We loved her, but she didn't manipulate our world to the point that we had to stop our world while she was here. We were able to love her and our brothers and sisters in Christ simultaneously, but we did have a priority. She wasn't a believer at that time, and so we didn't want to unlove her, but we also wanted to be clear. Who is my mother and who is my brother? It's those who do the live of, uh, do the will of God, and you can do that with wisdom and grace. And by the way, in 2011, at 72 years of age, she became a believer. Now she's my regenerate mother, and she has passed away since then, and I will spend eternity with her. Now I suppose some could argue, what if she would not have gotten saved? 
while uploading. That question's uploaded, by the way. They're uploading the question with guilt manipulation by placing her lack of salvation on, on my over-affection for my Christian family. And the truth is, that kind of thought process would be unbiblical thinking, besides being unkind, because it is manipulation. If a person chooses hell over heaven or sin over redemption, it will not be because of me. It will be, be, it will be because they have rejected the Lord from being their king. The title of this podcast is, Can a Person's Family Become an Idol? One of our supporting members wrote in a wonderful, insightful, a thoughtful question that didn't have an edge on it. They were genuinely, sincerely wanting an answer because they find themselves in this tension to where unregenerate family members can have more power, more manipulative power over the family of God, and they wanted to know how to navigate through this. I have a 2,000-plus word article that I have just shared with you, and I know this is not an exhaustive treatment on the subject. This is a blog post. A weblog is what it is. A weblog is not a book. It's not a multi-hour conversation, so perhaps you want to talk about this further. And if you do, it would be a pleasure to chat with you. Go to rickthomas.net and jump on our forums. We have free public forums for non-supporting members. We have private forums for supporting members. You'll have to get a username and a password. You can see how to do that on our website, but if you need any help, we will walk you through how to get your username get your password, and if you want to become a supporting member, you can do that, but you don't have to. Our more important priority for us is to answer your questions, and so let us know what they are, and we'll be here waiting on you to serve you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.